listening to Highlights from One Planet Podcasts, interview with Dr. Charles Coven, Earth System Scientist at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory and lead author of the IPCC report. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. In the part of the IPCC report that I worked on, where we kind of stopped was, this is the remaining carbon budget. Uh, for keeping global warming below one and a half degrees C uh, or well below two degrees C, you know, a couple different thresholds. And then there's the question of what can we actually do? Those remaining carbon budgets are very, very stringent. Right? So the, the remaining carbon budget um, to get below one and a half C basically is, you know, is basically 10 years of our current CO2 emissions. And so in order to stay below that, that means we need to get to net zero emissions before we exceed that budget. And so, you know, if you sort of draw a triangle of where we are now and getting to zero, that basically gives us 20 years to get to zero. And that was published last year, right? We've already now had one more year of effectively constant emissions, right? So that's from 20 years now, we've used up another another tenth of our budget, you know, since, since it's been published, right? And so the pathway to keeping global warming below 1.5 is small and getting smaller. There's a lot of action happening, right? And I think that's one of the interesting things right now is that, you know, on one level, you know, we're really starting to see the impacts of climate change. But on the other hand, we are starting to see a lot more action. Cities are acting, you know, local governments are acting, nations are acting, you know, at all levels. And so, you know, at the same time that it, we're starting to see what the pathway might actually look like to really strongly mitigate climate change. So the IPCC report is structured in, into, into three big sections, right? There's the first section is on the science of climate change, the physical science, the carbon cycle, basically, what are the causes of climate change? What can we expect in the future if we follow different pathways of emissions? You know, all these aspects of, of kind of the physical science. And that, so that's the part that I, I worked on. The next big part of, of the IPCC report is about impacts. What are the impacts that we expect and the vulnerabilities for different amounts of warming? Uh, and then the third part is about mitigation. W what are the pathways look like? How do we change our practices in order to keep global warming as low and as mitigated as possible? Scientists have a lot of roles to play, right? First and foremost, I think, is, you know, to do the science and to understand the process. So in my case, you know, the science that I focus on is on the interactions between the global carbon cycle and the climate system and what will that look like in the future under different pathways of emissions and so it's really important to do that science and so that we can have some basis for being able to anticipate what we expect to happen uh rule number two is to then uh listen and listen to what are the questions that people want scientists to ask. I think it's really important for us to listen so that we can understand what are the key questions that need to be answered. And I think the third is communication and being able to answer the questions that people have and, and also being able to say, what do we know and what don't we know? And so I think all three of those parts are, are really important. I think to the extent that scientists um, have uh, an advocacy role, you know, I think it's it's important to be able to identify, you know, what is what does the science say, and then what it does, you know, as a human, as a citizen, what what do I think is important, and to be able to hold both of those points and separate them, but say also how they relate to each other. I do think that some of the danger of 
the remaining carbon budget is is this idea well you know what happens if we if we exceed that do we fall off some sort of cliff to, you know and it's important to also communicate that no we, the world doesn't end if if we if we exceed one and a half degrees celsius every bit of warming uh that we cause is going to make everything a lot you know a, a, an amount more difficult we don't know if where there are, if there are any thresholds we don't ex really expect there to be any thresholds or tipping points what we expect is that every amount of emissions is going to lead to more warming and every amount of warming is going to lead to more difficulties and so i think the, the key role of scientists like myself who focus on the climate system is to make that clear make this the scale of the problem clear the urgency of the problem clear the stakes clear and then there are the question of how do we deploy all these things? And this is where it gets outside of the science a bit and more into the sort of political economy of it. How do we actually get deployment of clean technologies everywhere around the world with the urgency that's needed at the scale that's needed? It's an incredibly daunting challenge. It's not one that I have a lot of expertise in. It is also, you know, obviously incredibly important because as you say, you know, we do have a lot of the technologies and we haven't deployed them as as fast as we would hope but that seems to be changing right solar is the fastest growing energy source in the world right now we're starting to see important movements happening some of the recent work that i've been doing has been to really start thinking about what happens after 2100 i think you know the ipcc process has kind of held this 2100 uh, endpoint of of what it considers the near future and it has held that point kind of fixed now for 30 years right since the first ipcc report in the early 90s that was kind of when things ended and, you know in the early 90s 1990s you know that was 120 years out now it's you know 2022 and, and a lot of a lot of stuff is still kind of ending in 2100 and it's not that far out right i hope my kids are still alive in 2100 and so i think the the key thing is as we look out past 2100 I think there, there's a couple of things that we're realizing. One is that, you know, this idea of of what used to be called business as usual, and I've never really liked that that phrase. But but you know, I think that our ideas of what that likely trajectory looks like have have changed and and changed. You know, at least in some respects, in a good way. Right? We don't really think that these super high emission scenarios are are all that likely. They're certainly possible, but they're maybe not our expectation of what we think is going to happen. And that probably, I think what we expect is going to happen now is more likely to be something with some degree of mitigation and, and possibly, you know, very large amount of mitigation. And I think that the key thing that happens is you look out on these longer timescales, the range of possibilities just increases really dramatically, right? So remove CO2 from the atmosphere at scale and start to restore the climate system um, to some semblance of what it had been like before from the from wherever we are uh, at the point where we're able to reach net zero and so i think what that means then is that the the range of of possibilities after 2100 is is much broader than the range of possibilities for the for the near future in terms of negative emissions there a, a bunch of uh, of things you need to consider one is how long is the carbon that you've removed from the atmosphere going to stay out of the atmosphere before it, it uh, is released how do we how do we take carbon that's you know, not just putting it in trees that last 50 years, but putting it in geologic reservoirs that are permanent. You know, until we can talk about that, we're not really talking about solving the problem in any way. So that's kind of issue number one. Issue number two is how do you think about CO2 removal? Is it being done in order to offset positive emissions, you know, to, as part of net zero? 
or you know, or in pursuit of net zero, or is it being done, um, you know, in pursuit of something like a net negative emissions? Right now, there's a lot of pushback against negative emissions because they, you know, that creates this moral hazard of saying, well, you know, if we invest enough in negative emissions, then we can keep burning, you know, oil and natural gas and coal, and and everything will be fine. And obviously, that's not really the case. And so we're not going to be able to balance this out, you know, permanently and forever. You know, keep positive emitting and also keep negative emitting. That's just that's not really plausible. And so if we're able to remove carbon from the atmosphere, put in geologic reservoirs, then we still need to reduce our emissions just because we won't, you know, we'll be filling up a limited capacity of, of places where we can put that carbon. But this is all getting really far ahead of ourselves because right now we don't have these technologies at any scale that's meaningful at all. And so, you know, the one thing we do know how to do is reduce our emissions. This is all really important things to, that we need to figure out, you know, at the global scale. Because if you think about the size of the global fossil fuel industry, it's massive. And in order to get to net zero, we need to either stop emitting fossil fuels completely or very sharply reduce emitting fossil fuels and balance that with an equivalent amount of negative emissions. In both cases, we're talking about a really different energy infrastructure. We've got a very long way to go. I think it's, the, like I said, this, you know, this is the best of times and the worst of times. It's the worst of times because we know we have a really long way to go. But it's the best of times because we're starting to see these curves bend. I guess thinking to the future, as a scientist, what I've learned how to do is hold multiple futures in my head at the same time. Because we just don't know. We don't know what the future holds. We need to fight for the futures that we want and against the futures that we don't want. And that's all I can really say is that it's up to it's up to us. It's up to us to fight and advocate for what is the future that we want and what does that look like and how do we get there? We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.